0: And welcome to the Van Life Pantry Nomadic Pantry podcast, where we talk all things food, cooking, kitchen, and pantry storage for vehicle nomads. I sometimes also add in other little topics that necessarily are related to nomadic life and eating on the road or staying healthy on the road. So I'm going to add a couple of those in today. First, I want to share collapsible silicone information. And then I want to share a little bit about measuring spoon sizes. Then I have four ideas for breakfast. And then I'm going to follow it up with one of my herbal application opinions. And if you remember from some of my earlier podcasts where I mentioned that I was going to occasionally share herbal application information... I mentioned that I am not a doctor, I am not a licensed healthcare professional, but I am a human with opinions on health and that is what I share. So you may take those as you will or leave them as you will. So let's first talk about collapsible silicone. I thought originally that I would not use any collapsible silicone in my travels or anywhere in my pantry. And I've since changed my mind. I actually own several pieces of collapsible silicone now. I originally thought I would try to keep things more metal and ceramic. But those things take up more room in a lot of instances. And they weigh more. And they are harder to carry and store. Ceramic is breakable. So I have actually decided not to carry any of the dishes that I had originally had in my pantry storage because I don't want the breakable issue and I don't want them chipped and I have decided instead that I'm going to carry mostly non-breakable items. So I first got a collapsible silicone sink because when cleanup happens I didn't really have anything suitable for that task and I didn't want to carry a big sink and I don't have a built-in sink at this point. So I needed something that I could use and then easily store away. So I got this silicone collapsible sink. I actually really love it. It works for multiple different uses and it has a little drain plug removal um, spout. So you can take the plug out and just drain it into your gray water tank um, or wherever you are allowed to dispose of gray water. Um, it makes it easy that you can set it on top of the spout of a bottle that if you're using a gray water tank, a bottle, you can set this directly on the spout. And then remove that stopper and it will drain all the way easily into your gray water tank bottle. So, I think that is super. Next, we were on a trip and I realized that I didn't really have any bowls or um, plates that could hold things that needed to have a bowl like structure. When I had my kitchen with all of the china that I used to have, my favorite dish, in fact, for all of us in the family, the favorite dish was. A large shallow bowl. We used them almost exclusively um, and and really we didn't use plates very often. I find that a lot of what we do is single plate meals and so this bowl option is better. So on this trip we ran across some collapsible silicone bento boxes which I thought were really great because then you can have a main dish and you can have condiments in the little side sections or for breakfasts you can keep your fresh fruit separate from whatever cooked items you have so i picked up two of those one in a smaller size for me and one in a slightly larger size for one of the other family members mine has two sections the larger one has three sections It even comes with its own little utensil, which is spoon on one end, fork on the other end. So it's kind of an all-encompassed little gadget. And it has a sealing lid, so if you have something left and you manage to be able to fit it in your cooler or your 12-volt fridge, then you can keep a little bit of leftovers for a short amount of time. The silicone is easy to clean, and then the biggest reason that I chose these it will store almost flat. I mean, they are flat, but they're about an inch thick uh, when they're flat. So that gives me a lot more storage space and ability to carry these more easily. Part of my reticence in choosing silicone was, of course, you know, the idea that too much plastic exists in the world and too much waste exists in the world, and ultimately, eventually, especially probably with the collapsing and and pulling out and collapsing and pulling out so many times, these are going to wear out and then it's going to be something that goes in the landfill. And I'm somewhat uncomfortable with that because I don't know how silicone breaks down. But when you are living a nomadic lifestyle, it is much easier to carry these. And so for now I've decided to go ahead with them. Um, If I find that they actually break down too quickly, then I probably will not continue this option and I will probably not replace them with new collapsible silicone. I can't promise that, but that's my thought. If they last a really long time, then I will perhaps stay sold on their usefulness and the benefit analysis. Then I wanted to know, what exactly is silicone, and how is it made? So I looked on thomasnet.com in one of their articles about silicone rubber uses and industries. And it says, silicone, is it rubber or plastic? It is scientifically known as polysiloxane. It lies in the gray area, but is generally considered a rubber. It's a human-made elastomer a polymer with elastic properties that has the properties of both plastic and rubber. It takes flexibility and temperature resistance from plastic and rubber. It comes in sheeps, tubes, liquid, and other forms that allow it to be used in applications ranging from aerospace to medical to construction and apparently to cooking, although they don't say cooking. Built on a base of silicon and oxygen, as opposed to plastic that's based on carbon and hydrogen, which is less stable. Groups of organic molecules lend silicone rubber its flexibility. Silicone rubber has several variants with traits that differ depending on the application for which it is used. So then it goes into all the different variants, and I will try to put a link to this article in the show notes in case you are interested in all of the information about silicone a.k.a. silicone rubber. The last question they ask is, is it safe? And, you know, (laughs) I don't always trust these answers because um, things throughout history have been deemed safe and then later are found not to be. But so far, silicone rubber has been considered safe in the United States for applications in consumer cookware and medical products since FDA approval in 1979. It is also approved in Canada, But the EU has labeled the chemicals D4, D5, and D6, which are part of this makeup that you learn in the reading of this article, used in the production of silicone rubbers. They call them concerns. And some newer studies suggest that silicone rubber can leach these chemicals under certain circumstances. So I don't know what those circumstances are. They don't tell us. But I'm going to say I'm never going to use it in the microwave and I also have to say that I made Omnia oven meatloaf recently, and I used the silicone mold because it helps save the pan, but I didn't care so much for the flavor of the end product. Um, To me, it had a little bit of a silicone flavor to it. We ate some. The meatloaf itself was good, but I ended up throwing out and not keeping any leftovers because I'm not so sure I'm convinced that I want to cook in silicone. So take that as you will, but that is my silicone discussion. I have a silicone collapsible sink, I have two silicone bento boxes, and I have a three pack of collapsible silicone storage um, small containers for leftovers or for eating uh, small bits of something. Now let's talk measuring spoons. I have a normal set of measuring spoons which give you all the normal stuff. Your quarter teaspoon, your half teaspoon, your teaspoon, your tablespoon. Everybody, mostly everybody, I think. I think everybody knows about those measuring spoons. And probably almost everybody, especially anybody who cooks anything, has those in their kitchen. But a few years ago, a friend of mine gave me an additional set and i think it's probably because i do so much um, with herbal applications and just little experimentations so this was a fun addition to my kitchen it is the measurements from your grandmother's cooking (laughs) all those recipes that said a drop a smidgen a pinch a dash a tad these spoons tell you exactly how much that is and it measures it out for you. So grandmother always said, I don't know, I don't measure. I just drop a spoonful of that and a tad of this and a pinch of that and a dollop of such and such. So this set of spoons has a drop, which is 1 64th of a teaspoon, a smidgen, which is 1 32nd of a teaspoon, a pinch which is 1 16th of a teaspoon, a dash is 1 8th of a teaspoon, and a tad is 1 quarter of a teaspoon. So your regular spoons that you already have might have the 1 quarter teaspoon, which they don't tell you is a tad, but now you know that is a tad. And I actually do use these. I don't really ever have occasion to use a drop But I definitely use the smidgen, the pinch, and the dash quite a bit. And they're just fun to have in your kitchen pantry storage. Now let's talk breakfast ideas. So I have four breakfast ideas. And these are all pretty easy. Um, Only one of them requires cooking. we'll start with that one and that is french toast. Um, I have not made french toast on the road yet but I always am looking for things that I can make relatively easily on the road and french toast is one of those. Even though I personally tend to avoid grains a lot of the time, there are times when I just want the pancake or the french toast or something like that and for those times I use gluten-free bread but you can use any kind of bread for this. And I actually would love to be able to use a thick brioche or a really nice crusty sour dough. Um, but you can use any any bread. Just know that the thicker the bread, the longer you need to soak it and potentially the more liquid you are going to need. So I don't know how many people you are feeding. But if I'm feeding one or two people, my basic recipe for French toast is two eggs, a half cup to a three-quarter cup of milk, and then I add more if necessary. I, I kind of eyeball it like grandma. I don't always measure all of it. I just get the feel for what I want. And if it's not enough milk, it's too much egg, I add a little milk. Um, you can use a milk alternative. Whatever, whatever you use as milk um, will work in this recipe. And then you're going to use some cinnamon. Probably a tablespoon, a teaspoon, two teaspoons, whatever you feel is is good for your taste. Um, I just call it a sprinkle of cinnamon. But, you know, it could be a pinch or a dash or a tad or three tads, (laughs) however you like. Um, And then I definitely would only use a dash of salt. Um, And then you put all that in a bowl, mix it together... And You're going to soak your bread until I like to soak it until it's really fully thoroughly saturated Sometimes when you order French toast at a restaurant They didn't soak it long enough and you don't get that nice thick egginess all the way to the center of the bread so I like to have it go all the way in I Don't know how long that takes. It depends on the thickness of your bread. It depends on the type of bread gluten-free bread tends to take longer so I don't know, a few minutes, I stand there and watch it. And when it starts to get so soggy that it looks like it's going to break apart if I try to lift it out of the bowl, that's when I put it in the pan. So you're going to have a hot skillet or griddle pan going. um, And I either use olive oil or butter on the pan. I don't always carry butter when I'm traveling, so most likely I'm going to be using olive oil. If I have planned French toast and I really want the butter on the finished product, then I may have a stick of butter on hand and I might use butter in the pan. So then you just basically cook it in the pan on both sides until it is looking browned and crispy and yummy and it'll still be nice and soft on the inside. But of course you want the egg to be fully cooked. So you just need to make sure that you keep it on the pan in the heat until it is fully cooked. And then if you want to add a twist When you put it on your plate and you have butter, you can do butter and then fresh fruit. Um, Some blueberries or some cut up strawberries or even a little nectarine or apricot. And top it with that fruit and then add either syrup or honey or jelly. If you don't have syrup or you're not traveling with syrup but you do have honey, you can use the honey as it is. Or you can make a thinner syrup with your honey by putting it in a little saucepan and cooking it over your burner for a little bit with some added water. And stir until it is the consistency of syrup. Don't put too much water or you will never get a syrup consistency. Um, So I I like to add a little bit at a time. You, You put however much honey you think you're going to use and then you add about a quarter of that in water. And then... You know, you just check it um, from there. So, yeah, it's not a hard and fast recipe, um, but I tend not to have those. And on the road, I don't think that it's very conducive to recipe, hard recipe cooking, because you don't always have time to get out a recipe. You don't always want to be constricted in that way. Um, I like to just get a feel for the food and cook it um, with some basic recipe ideas in mind. So, if you're comfortable with that, then have at it. The next idea takes a little more planning because you need to plan it the night before. If you are going to have overnight oats or overnight chia pudding, actually those are the next two items, And pudding, I use that term loosely. They call it chia pudding, but it's not actually a pudding. It's just um, a a chia breakfast food. And so um, pudding works because it is the consistency of pudding. So first, overnight oats. Um, You can use almost any kind of oats. Some people like to use instant oats because they soften more quickly. Um, And other people just use regular rolled oats. I don't think that steel-cut oats would work as well because um, they're not going to soften as well overnight. So I, when I have home base, use a mason jar for this. Um, I have not made overnight oats yet while traveling and so I'm not positive what receptacle I will use, but I suspect it is going to be the largest of my small silicone, um, containers that I have for leftovers. Um, it's just about the right size, even though it is not jar shaped. So, um, depending on how many people you are feeding, if you want single serving, you might use a half cup of oats or three quarters of a cup of oats, or even one quarter cup of oats, depending on, on your hunger level. Um, And so let's say that you're going to use a three quarter cup of oats, then you're going to want to add about the same amount of milk or milk alternative, about three quarters of a cup. So you want a receptacle that will hold that much, or you could do a half cup of oats and a half cup of liquid, roughly about a half half. And you might add a teaspoon of chia seeds to this, or you could leave those out. Um if you leave out the chia seeds, you might use a little bit less liquid. I think you'll have to play with it and see what your ratios are. I have some family members who like it more liquid and some who don't like the extra liquid. Um, and you're just gonna let that sit overnight. You put it in the container, you let it sit, and by morning it is soft and yummy and ready to eat, and you don't have to cook it. Um it is already ready. And then you can add some fun extras. You can add banana. You could add sliced strawberry. You could add blueberries. You could add raisins. um, Even maybe some peanut butter. I really like peanut butter on pancakes. I have never tried peanut butter in my overnight oats, but I did see some suggestions for that. So I might have to try that sometime. And then if you want something sweet a little bit, even though it's breakfast and it's supposed to be healthy, you could add maybe a little bit of carob chips or something like that. I also would personally add a little bit of raw honey and some cinnamon. This makes a good breakfast on the go that has a lot of fiber and will fill you until lunch. Next, we go to the chia pudding recipe. This also requires planning for overnight to eat in the morning. The favorite recipe I've found uses 3 quarters cup of milk or milk alternative, almond milk. Uh, I use almond milk, but whatever you want. Cashew milk would work. One tablespoon of honey or maple syrup, if you have it. A teaspoon of vanilla extract. Which I don't carry, so I probably would skip the vanilla extract part of it. But if you have it, it does round out the flavor. And three tablespoons of chia seeds. So you just put those ingredients in your container. And you want to do... um, I put the milk first, and then the chia seeds, and then my honey and vanilla. And then you want to stir really well. And then you wait about a minute and stir again. And you wait another minute and stir again. And one more minute and stir for the last time. And then you put it in the cooler or the 12-volt fridge or whatever fridge you've got to sit overnight. And in the morning, it has expanded. Chia seeds expand to nine times their size. And they are very mucilaginous, so they have this gel that kind of gels everything together. Some people really don't like the texture, and some people just can't get past the thought of the mucilaginous gel. But if you just look at it and eat it without thinking about that, I think you'll find that it is tasty, and you probably will like it. Anyway, so you do that. It's ready in the morning. And then you add toppings if you want. If you have fresh fruit, you add fresh fruit toppings. If you have um, coconut shreds or toasted coconut shreds, those are really good to add. Um, Any kind of little topping that you would like. Nuts would be good. You could add um, dates. That would be nice. Anyway, sky's the limit. So that also makes a really nutritious breakfast. That should have about 7 grams of protein, it has potassium, it has fiber, a little bit of sugar, and you get calcium and iron from that too. So that is really a good easy recipe, no cook, and chia seeds are a nutritious option. The last breakfast idea is just fresh fruit. It could be as simple as one piece of fruit that you just eat. A banana, an apple, something like that. I like to cut up my fresh fruit. And the other day I shared that I had a breakfast of strawberries, nectarines, apricots, apples, plums. I did not have banana that day. But i you could use just a handful of strawberries, one apple. I had two apricots. I had three nectarines, and this fed three people for breakfast. If you're extra hungry, it would probably only feed two people for breakfast, but this is a lot of fruit. You get a lot of fruit sugars from this, but they're natural good sugars. Now, depending on your particular restrictions, you may not want to just eat all that fruit for breakfast, but I think it's a really good and nutritious way to start the day. It's quick. It's easy in the summer. It's cool. And if you purchase a few fruits, knowing that you're going to make this for breakfast, you don't have to have them far in advance, and you don't have to worry about the refrigeration aspect. If you're going to wait a few days, it's been, as I told you, 113 in my van most days lately during the day, and so you would want to store these in a cool place, hidden, tucked away somewhere, or in your cooler until you're going to use them. (music) Lastly, we are going to talk about the herbal applications. So today I have a couple of thoughts, and they were prompted by a question that I saw from someone in another nomadic group. The question was about basically, roughly, was about digestion. Um, The person was asking for ways to have more fiber on the road and how to eat more healthily and um, how to manage when a person is having alternating constipation and diarrhea. And my go-to for that, because I was basically completely quote-unquote cured of that alternating gastrointestinal distress by cutting out all gluten, most corn, and most other grains, it almost completely turned that around for me. Uh, Well, I will say completely. For years, 10 years, almost 11 years now, I have not really had any gastrointestinal distress unless I have accidentally eaten the wrong thing. I, used to, I grew up thinking it was a normal thing. It was an everyday thing. It is not a normal thing. You should not be having gastrointestinal distress all the time. And if you are, you need to start looking for whatever it is in your life and in your body that is triggering that phenomenon. So, for me, grains were the key. They were the thing that I cut out and that is gone. So that is number one and huge. I I shout it from the rooftops. People get tired of hearing f- about it. I actually had someone in a group recently tell me that they didn't need to hear that because 8,000 people had already told them that and they didn't care. So that's fine. If you don't care, keep on going. Do what you do. But it can be a key for so many people. And I have seen it be the key for so many people that I have to share. So anyway, that's a food thing. But... I was looking at my essential oils um, guides and one of the guides for healthy digestion and aiding in metabolism is a little recipe that I found. And I'm not going to share the exact recipe with the exact number of drops because that particular exact recipe is copyrighted. And it is in the book called Essential Oils, A Guide for Using Aromatherapy in Your Everyday Life. It is by author Isid Sarmiento, I hope that I pronounced that correctly, and it is from Wellfleet Press, copyright 2016. So I can't give you the drops, but I can tell you the herbs or, or the essential oils that are used. It is basil in a larger amount than some of the others. It is marjoram, equal to the basil. And then it is oregano and thyme at one fifteenth the amount. So basil, then marjoram, and then tiny smidgen of oregano, tiny smidgen of thyme. You put it in your diffuser and you diffuse. And you can just use it for an uplifting scent or if you do think that it can help you in your gastrointestinal digestion endeavors, then let that be the reason that you use the recipe. So the snippet from the author's note in this book explains that aromatherapy is about using essential oils to help balance our bodies and minds, whether we are breathing them in, applying them, or even tasting them. And, of course, I use all three At various times when I choose the correct oils for each application as I've said before if you are ingesting them you have to make sure that you have purchased oils that are specifically for ingesting because a lot of the aromatherapy oils that you find on the market are not formulated for ingesting and you do not want to ingest the ones that are not formulated for ingestion so it is about the power of scent to keep our bodies regulated And the author says the difference between herbs and essential oils is that essential oils can be 70 to 80 times more powerful and concentrated than the herbs. And they work faster, according to this author. Um, I don't know for certain um, that they... Well, they do work faster in certain ways, and and they do they are definitely more concentrated. I think they work very well in combination with herbal applications, which I am going to talk about next. Some of the herbs that are good for digestion and for any kind of stomach upset or discomfort can be licorice root, ginger, peppermint, and chamomile. There are more. There are others. But these are kind of a go-to for me, and you can make them all together in a tea. You can um, find them in various ways to ingest. I like to sometimes just chew on ginger. You cut little uh, flakes of fresh raw ginger and just chew it. And then I also put it in uh, hot lemon water. So you take a lemon, cut it in half, squeeze that half, add some raw ginger... A teaspoon of raw honey hot boiling water I guess I should say and basically you're making a hot tea but you are just making hot lemon water Um, and you could add these other herbs into that water or you could have them separately as a tea so those are some things that help digestion herbally my other thoughts to this person were it is always good to eat a lot of leafy greens carrots if you can Celery, squash, broccoli, cauliflower, flax seeds, chia seeds, avocado, apple cider vinegar, olive oil, coconut oil, eggs, clean meats, raisins, plums, figs, grapes, pecans, raw, unprocessed honey, lemons, ginger. If you are having diarrhea, then you would want apples only in moderation and bananas only in moderation because they are part of the BRAT diet that stops diarrhea. I just said that backwards. If you're having constipation, you want to avoid those or use them minimally. If you're having diarrhea, you would want to include apples and bananas in your diet and even rice. Um, But otherwise, I would be saying you should avoid all grains, especially if constipation is the issue. I would avoid cheese, milk, really all dairy. Avoid cucumbers and onions avoid peanuts because sometimes those can cause people digestive issues. Almonds can cause stomach pain in some people. Um, Bananas, as I said. Watermelon can cause feelings of bloating and stomach pain in some people. Definitely avoid all artificial colors, artificial flavors. At that time, if you're having distress, avoid sugars. Avoid sugary foods. Avoid ketchup. Avoid barbecue sauce. Avoid fast food and breaded foods. There are, of course, other foods to eat and other foods to avoid, but those are kind of my big overarching go-tos and avoids when a person is feeling some gastrointestinal distress. One of my favorite newer things is cashew milk yogurt. Um, It's really more like a kefir. It's a a drinkable yogurt, and um, it avoids the dairy, but it gives you the probiotics that are really good in yogurt. So, that is all for me today. I thank you for joining me, as always. And I do hope to do some live shows coming up soon. I've been trying to drum up some people who are willing to meet me live and just chat about cooking, food, food options, any of the things that you find on the road that give you difficulty or things that you found that work really great. Um, I'd like to just talk about them in real time and have a few chat shows as it were, um, so that it's not always just me talking at you and we have some interaction. Anyway, um, that, again, is all for me this week. So please do like, share, share with your friends. If you have an idea for how to solve my Apple Podcasts problem, let me know because I still cannot seem to get listed on Apple Podcasts. And it is apparently a matter of a login issue when I'm trying to... go through the process to get listed. It goes only so far and then it puts me in a circular loop and nobody can help me solve this problem. Do I need to just use an iPhone? Can I borrow somebody's iPhone and just get myself listed on Apple Podcasts by using an iPhone? I don't know. I'm an Android person, so (laughs) maybe it's as simple as I need to use an iPhone for 10 minutes to fix this problem. Otherwise, I should be on Anchor FM I should be on Pandora Podcasts, I should be on Podbean, of course, and um, there are a couple of others that I should be able to be found on, so just do a search for Van Life Pantry Podcast and see where you can find me. Um, Anyway, please do join me next time. Uh, I should be roughly a week from now, and we will talk more then. Until then, I hope to see you on down the road. Bye now.